this generative AI is going to force a rethink between the sort of the relationship and the engagement between people and technology. Anything as as fundamental as, as the one during the Industrial Revolution, it is going to impact everyone. It is going to blur the distinction between, you know, knowledge workers and there I use the term blue collar workers. And I, I think, you know, the successful organizations here will be the ones which deeply understand how to leverage this to, you know, to support employees' creativity, quality, to share sort of the lessons learned and the experience around how this will strengthen people's sense of work, workplace contribution. I was just delighted to welcome back Florin Rotar, Chief Technology Officer at Avanad, into the Digital Workplace Impact Podcast Studio. Over the years, Florin and I and our respective organizations have collaborated on a number of projects, simply because of our shared focus and unique perspectives around how digital technology is changing work and people. You may recall that Florin joined us in the studio last year to talk about the metaverse at the height of its focus as a a new set of capabilities for digital workplace professionals. Today's conversation centered around generative AI and within that, ChatGPT. Not only did we talk about what these capabilities are, we talked through the hype, the risks, the opportunities. We also talked at length about how ChatGPT in particular is very much on par with what mechanization did to spark the industrial revolution and what the web browser did in opening up the internet age. ChatGPT is clearly a force that will democratize artificial intelligence at large and in the workplace. In a matter of a few short months, we've seen it emerge as a catalyst for workplace change, curiosity, and creativity within our circles. Join me now in conversation with Florin. This is Nancy Goble, your host for Digital Workplace Impact Podcast, which of course is brought to you by Digital Workplace Group. Happy listening. Florin, I have to say, I'm so excited to have you back in the studio once again. Last year, we had a chance to catch up about the metaverse and how Avanade was utilizing it internally. And of course, some of the wider industry trends that were at play at the time, not only within uh, Avanade's client base, but our wider industry circles. And today we have a chance to come together to talk about another big topic, topic of the moment within the digital headquarters, and that is generative AI and within that chat GPT. So thank you so much for dipping out of what we know is a busy schedule to come and talk about something that's got quite a lot of hype attached to it at the moment indeed um but also a lot a lot of potential and um and a lot of value as well so good to be here with you nancy thanks for having me again always a pleasure and so i'm sure that quite a few of the practitioners 
in our circles have been actively exploring both generative AI and chat GPT. But I do think it's important to provide a little bit of grounding before we jump into an exploration of this space together. And so for anyone who hasn't heard these terms before, can you start with a little bit of a grounding there? Yeah, I will um, I will certainly try. So, you know, what we're talking about here is uh, generative AI. Um, there are many types of, uh, of AI, but basically generative AI is a type of AI where we're using uh, algorithms that use existing content like text or audio files or video or images to uh, create new content which is uh, plausible. So there are many different types of content that uh, can be created. It could be uh, uh, text, it could be computer code, it could be images or video or audio or 3D models, you know, or any other type of content like a, a drug design or a chip design. So that is, uh, that's basically, um, you know, the, uh, what generative AI does. And it is based on the science and the art, I should say, uh, which has been around for several decades, actually, which is, which is uh, neural networks which which finally has, has sort of uh, come of age and, and reached prime time. And so uh, characterize ChatGPT within that frame of generative AI, Florin. ChatGPT is an implementation, uh, an instantiation or realization, I should rather say, of um, a large language model. So a large language model, you know, the, the way I think about it is a um, instantiation of a neural network, uh, which has been trained with uh, large, large amounts of text in, you know, in the, uh, in the instance of ChatGPT, it's been trained on uh, large parts of, or parts of the, in, uh, of the content available on, on, on internet. And it's using statistical likelihoods on tokens. So without getting too technical here, think about tokens as uh, characters or words. So every, every time, you know, you're asking it something and it produces a response, it, it comes up with the, the most likely or the most appropriate next token. So, you know, if I would say the first token being Florin, then the next likely token could be is, has, was, whatever. Uh, let's say it goes for is. So Florin is, and then, you know, it, it's, it's trying to figure out what is the next, um, the, the next most appropriate token after Florin is and, and so forth. So yeah, ChatGPT is a type of generative AI. It uses uh, large language models and um, it's based on, um, on, on neural network sort of science and art, I should say, because there is a fair amount of uh, lore and uh, art into the whole training using uh, leveraging uh, neural networks. I think that's a really helpful starting point for today's conversation. And Florin, we know that there has just been quite a lot about 
this space and ChatGPT in particular in the press a lot of late. Clearly, it is a disruptive force, and that can be one that carries both benefits and challenges to organizations. And I wonder if you've got a nice way of framing some examples of what those look like as a way of taking us to the next level in the conversation and and maybe even put a little bit of a workplace bent to it. Certainly. Um, So... We do believe this is really, really, really fundamental. And I would go as far as saying that generative AI is probably the most important technology trend we've seen in the last 20, 30 years. And I don't think I'm exaggerating too much when I say that. So the you know, to take a couple of steps back, I mean the reason we think this is so fundamental. It is because generative AI acts as a democratization engine for artificial intelligence. So the way, you know, we explain it or the way I would use an analogy for this, I I tend to think about generative AI as the equivalent of web browsers in the mid-90s. So for those of you who were... uh, Around at that point in time, it was quite a while ago when you remember internet, it was sort of a uh, something which was uh, done or used by a very small minority of people. Uh, and it was used by technology enthusiasts. And, um, you know, you had to use uh, technology sort of means like uh, FTP or um, you know, find your way around bulletin board systems um, um, and so forth to, to use it. And then what what happened with the advent of, of web browsers is that, you know, everybody who could point and click was able to, to use internet, which completely changed the nature and the usage um, of internet. It went from being a sort of something that's was used by uh, a small minority to something which is was available to the vast majority of, of people. So we, we believe that generative AI and large language models are basically a bit of an equivalent, an imperfect equivalent, but an equivalent of the web browser in as much as it truly democratizes AI uh, from something that, you know, was only used by a small minority of uh, very technology savvy companies and hypers, cloud hyperscalers who could afford to invest hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to, to make it work. So what we're seeing right now is a number of waves. We see, you know, if I can take a, a sort of a digital workplace bent to it, we see this right now fundamentally changing um, the space of uh, knowledge management. So that is something that a lot of the, the, the customers that we work with are, are, are looking into and basically fundamentally changing the approach to, uh, to knowledge management. As an example, there are many more examples. For sure. And, you know, we've been talking about it a lot in terms of um, how it's impacting roles that are content and coordination centric. And so uh, not only in terms of the knowledge management side of things, but 
uh, when knowledge workers are coming together and need uh, to drive programs and projects, um, that space is being impacted quite greatly early on as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's so much. It's the, the change is so fundamental. Um, so, you know, around the, the, the knowledge management, you maybe give you an example. So let, let's think about an asset heavy industry, which is having to manage uh very complicated uh, and interconnected set of assets, and maybe it's in you know let's let's say in oil and gas, uh, maybe it's it's pipelines and the the structures and the infrastructure around refineries. So if something goes wrong, you know let's say there is a valve stuck on a specific pipeline. Historically, until not too recently, what you know people had to do is basically gather a team of experts, many with institutional knowledge around that specific environment. They would have to look at pipe, you know, drawings, uh, historical sort of records, loads and, you know, maybe dozens of applications and systems to try to figure out, you know, what's happening here? How have we sold this before? What are the interdependencies? What are the risks? And, and the risks can be very real. I mean, if you do something wrong in, on the refinery, you could trigger, you know, a, a pretty serious health and safety incident. So using GPT models and fine tuning those and training those on a on ontology of sort of the, the pipeline language and training those with and fine tuning those with information from all of those systems, you could literally take you know, somebody could simply ask, I have a Volve 7538 on pipeline 123 ABC on location X uh, stuck due to corrosion and the the pressure is 780 PSI, what do I do about it? And literally you can get a quite likely response back in a matter of minutes and probably, you know, have a very plausible way of solving that problem in a, in a matter of hours versus weeks. I mean, that's just an example, but there are so many more, so, so many uh, more out there. I, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing the the impact this is having to the customers that we're, we're uh, working with. And, you know, this is an example that's more technical in nature. Certainly we've seen early examples of how chat GPT is changing marketing uh, and advertising Indeed. from producing campaigns, whether advertising or social media, copywriting. So producing articles and uh, blog series okay. and the like. And so, you know, these are some of the near reach examples that have been put in front of us, but certainly we'll start to see a level of innovation happening in and around knowledge heavy functions as we move forward. And uh, there are some opportunities to improve productivity, among other things. Any specific thoughts there you'd like to highlight vis-a-vis -vis productivity? What we are seeing here is going to heavily, heavily impact, you know, every knowledge worker category on the planet, uh, but also every, 
you know, what I would say frontline worker or uh, non-knowledge worker uh, category on the planet. I think it's going to blend that distinction, uh, which we've had around since, I don't know, the Industrial Revolution. I, I mean, it requires serious thinking around change enablement and the roles and responsibilities of, um, of, of people. Because the way we, we see this happening is that it's, it's not a replacement for jobs. It's not a replacement for people. It is about having a, a co-pilot, if I can use that word, where you truly tag teaming with a machine to achieve something which is better than you could have achieved by yourself. But that doesn't happen automatically. There is really a lot of work that needs to be done on the human side to sort of empower, if I can use the word, human flourishing, uh, to, to figure out how people's creativity, work quality, can be used to strengthen their sense of workplace contribution and value, and and you know not to see generative AI as a as, as a replacement. So, I think there is a lot of change change enablement and change management, uh, frankly, on a planetary scale, which will happen over the next uh, two, three, four years. And it'll be interesting to see if one of the outcomes of just that is to see whether we become even more naturally curious in doing what we do. Because even in the early stages of experimenting with ChatGPT, the way in which you frame questions on the user side of things is different from how you would approach things in, say, an enterprise search context. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I do think that this... um, you know, as the cost of generation is approaching zero, I think we will see a lot more of the creativity and the curiosity flourishing because it is simple, you know, it is simply possible to do so within the confines of, you know, time and money and and other resources that people have been bounded by previously. So if I can use an example, so we're working with a uh, uh, a luxury car manufacturer and we're using a generative uh, model to create inspiration for uh, for new car models. So again, this is a, a company which is extraordinarily proud of its heritage, of its design language, uh, of its style. And, you know, coming up with new designs is something that, again, historically would have required quite a long period of time for people to be able to channel and experiment with with sketches, with ideas. And there's only so much you can do within, you know, during the, uh, the, the workday. So literally having the, the ability to say, well, give me a, you know, an SUV model in the style of, xenomorph science fiction with the cab crew set up uh, set into Los Angeles of 2030 serving a family is not something you would have sort of that <laughs> design idea is not something 
people would have normally had maybe the the chance and the opportunity to do. And now you can get a really, really high quality and, you know, to my eyes at least, like really inspirational and high quality design idea, again, in a matter of minutes and hours rather than days and weeks. And we've seen this, you know, you would, if you're cynical, you would think that designers would reject this uh, because it, you know, it threatens their livelihood, their job, their creativity, their style and human touch. But we've seen actually the complete opposite, that they're using this to, to stimulate them to investigate new avenues, to test new ideas, to, you know, to, to let their hair out, so to say, and, and be a lot more creative than they were uh, historically. So it's it's really, really interesting to see how this changes uh, it changes everything, to be honest. I think it's it's so refreshing to hear this point of view because in so much of what we see in the media at the moment, you know, it's uh, a topic that's raising questions about jobs going away or issues with organizations like Samsung that leaked important IP by just trying to do something positive and troubleshoot code. And so along the way, you know, we need to be listening and having conversation from all angles so that we are stepwise in approach, but harness the power of all the positive sides of what these new capabilities can bring to us. And so I think, you know, conversations like this take on added importance in helping to round out the picture. And even in a short period of time, you know, we've talked about how generative AI and ChatGPT in particular can assist with troubleshooting issues, helping to inform new ideas and a variety of other ways of enhancing productivity and creativity. And that's an important part of becoming more naturally curious in, you know, in the day-to-day work that we do and leveraging these capabilities, as you described, as part of the collaborative process, um, as opposed to thinking of it as a competitive factor, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there, Obviously, you know, we're at least going into this very open, open eyed and with a quite strong sense of responsibility of helping our customers around how to approach this in a in an ethical, in an ethical way, because there are really substantial uh, benefits, but there are also you know, there are also risks uh, which needs to be managed and mitigated. So, you know, you, you mentioned uh, topics like, you know, information security and, and, and privacy and making sure, you know, being very cognizant around how one doesn't overshare sensitive personal or corporate data, how you manage the the risk of model hallucinations where, you know, you may have unreliable or biased or inappropriate or frankly incorrect response, how you really think about the social benefits of this. Like anything, this could be used to create misinformation. And instead, you know, focusing on how does, how could generative AI contribute to social goods like education, financial opportunity, 
better access to health care rather than, you know, just a crazy increase in digital noise, <laughs> uh, which I think is, you know, is the last thing we would want. And then obviously the intellectual property is something that every single one of our customers is focused on. And, you know, we're actually, and none of our customers are using the, how should I put it, the publicly available chat GPT. We're using the uh, the Azure OpenAI uh, version where you can you can you, you know you can manage the security you can manage the privacy you can manage the intellectual property and make sure that that data isn't leaked and you have the right governance in in place so you know there are ways of managing all of this all of the risks all of the uh potential challenges uh but it doesn't happen by itself it, it needs to be a conscious effort and, and, and a conscious approach. It's been interesting to pick up on this topic of risk in the early days to see that not only are professional services and technology firms leaning into this as a powerful set of capabilities, but early days we've also seen quite a bit of movement within the consumer goods industry. And that's in sharp contrast with a lot of the financial services as an example of, you know, regulated industries where in some cases there have been some pretty strong and public declarations that uh, a number of the banks will not touch this um, uh, early days for use across employee base at large and have gone so far as to block uh, access to the publicly available versions of chat GPT with that in mind. So there's a sense of, you know, some organizations have a foot on the gas pedal and others have a foot on the brakes, but we're seeing quite a lot of conversation about the importance of leveraging uh, in those instances where experimentation is actively underway, not only the Azure OpenAI instances that you can safeguard as you've described, but of course, there's the Microsoft co-pilot group of organizations that are early adopters that are looking at embedded versions of ChatGPT into the different parts of the Microsoft productivity suite. And I'm sure there'll be other variations along the way as the wider set of technology providers enter into the space as well. Early days, you have some successes like the high-end automotive uh, example you gave earlier, uh, but certainly there's a lot of trial and er error involved, whether it's Avanad for Avanad or Avanad out to clients. And can you share any sort of real life examples of troubleshooting some of the work that you and your team have encountered and, you know, in even an early approach to resolving these kinds of things? Because again, it is early days for us, even though AI has been around for some time. I mean, I just, it's a, uh, it's a very good question. Um, uh, Nancy, I, I would say, though, in the very, very early days of this, maybe November, December timeframe, we did see some of our financial services customers take a bit of a knee-jerk reaction or other 
help uh, sort of regulated industry and basically, you know, ban ChatGPT. But I think most of them realize that this is a bit like the equivalent of, uh, you know, banning internet for your uh, for your users in the uh, in in the mid '90s, or restricting their access to internet. And <laughs> you know, they realize that's probably not an avenue which is going to be particularly uh, viable in the in in the long term. So we are actually seeing uh, healthcare organizations which are really really leaning into this. We're seeing loads of insurance companies, banks leaning there. So I think again, it's it, the, the media loves the uh, the hyperbole and the uh, you know the uh, the extreme examples. And I mean, I understand organizations which are being worried about sort of the public consumer version of the models and and those being used for for business purposes. That's probably not a good thing. But from at least from my vantage point, we see pretty much uniform interest around around most industries, even regulated industries. But to go to go back to your your point around, I mean, we're practicing this ourselves because we we do like, as I think I've said before, to be uh, uh, to be client um, client zero. Uh, so to do to do to ourselves um, everything that. You know, we 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 suggest and we work with clients on and and an example which is kind of top of mind for me right now is around account planning. So our fiscal year is starting to sort of approach a point in time when hundreds and thousands of our account executives are starting to think about their account plans for next year, and there is you know, historically loads of effort being involved in, you know, creating PowerPoints uh, of account plans and those PowerPoints being reviewed by managers and then having calls and meetings to discuss it, to improve it, to figure out, you know, how can we have the most sort of the, the best possible account plans where we truly understand our customers' challenges and opportunities and we figure out what you know the best way that we want to help our customers in, in the next fiscal year and you know the implications that of, of that so i i've just been flabbergasted frankly and i don't use that word easily but i am flabbergasted about the quality you know so we're we've created a a pilot where we we have GPT uh, review account plans, and I'm I'm you know amazed by how good those are. But also, and again, I'm amazed a little bit about the the need for change enablement for people to understand that this will change the way they work. So we you know our need to sort of stop organizing those big calls which are taking the time of a lot of people and being tracked in Excel spreadsheets and, you know, the sort of knee-jerk reaction around reviewing those PowerPoints and and, and so forth and, and trusting, self-empowering people to do 80% of the work themselves with the help of an AI sort of uh, sales co-pilot, which is, which is helping them uh, do that. So, 
even though I, I, I've been in the knowledge uh, in the digital workplace space for 25 years and I, sh I, <laughs> I should know about the importance of change enablement and change management, I'm still surprised about the, the non-trivial effort required for people to understand and embrace and get this into the natural way of working. So yeah, that, that's probably the bit which surprised me. Not not the technical bit. That was surprisingly easy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's the uh, it's the human side, um, which is again humans don't change quite as fast as uh, as computers. <laughs> yeah, I I have long said that you need a change to be able to move people through change, and there's almost a coattail effect that. You, you need to create based on something wider that's happening in an organization to allow technological changes to flourish in the ways that you've described. And I know that, you know, for years, as we've done our digital workplace maturity benchmarking, organizational readiness is already something that was lagging on the maturity mm -hmm. scale. So, as digital workplace practitioners and leaders, we're going to be called upon in a whole new set of ways to really help mobilize the change that's needed, not only at a stakeholder level, uh, a leadership level, but a wider workforce level as well. Good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sort of alluded to this before, but I, I, I do think this generative AI is going to force a rethink between the sort of the relationship and the engagement between people and technology. Anything as as fundamental as, as the one during the industrial revolution, it is going to impact everyone. It is going to blur the distinction between, you know, knowledge workers and there I use the term blue collar workers. And I, I think, you know, the successful organizations here will be the ones which deeply understand how to leverage this to, you know, to support employees' creativity, quality, to share sort of the lessons learned and the experience around how this will strengthen people's sense of work workplace contribution. We need to be really careful that it doesn't create new distinctions between augmented and non-augmented workers. And, and frankly, I would go as far as say we will need new team structures and new organizational models as, as a result of this. And I, I know I'm sounding maybe a little bit, I don't know, hypish. Um, um, and I, I, I really do try to, to avoid how should I put it, oversell or overposition this, but I, I genuinely think this is a pivoting moment, uh, certainly as big as anything I've seen in the last 25, 30 years, or maybe even deeper than that. I personally don't feel like you're coming from a, a place where um, you're exaggerating the potential and the power of what we have in front of us. As you say, the biggest challenge will be enabling people to embrace it in new and different ways. And I think about the point in time earlier in my career where people would talk about knowledge is power 
and that was a reason to hold on to knowledge, whereas we're almost turning that paradigm on its head and saying the more we share the knowledge that we have, the more we can harness it for all of these different purposes anchored in creativity and connection and create a, a different kind of knowledge revolution, if you will. That's so well said, uh, Nancy. I, and I, I couldn't agree more with the, the, the notion of sharing. And I think, you know, we're seeing a different type of sharing emerging as well across organizational boundaries, even where sort of teams of companies, and sometimes those teams of companies are across industry, are practicing shared cognition. So, you know, for example, a, a manufacturer which creates a new material for tires, they're doing that because they use the shared data available used to, to train a generative AI across the manufacturer, across government, across a chemicals company, and maybe across the investment arm of a financial services company. So we're seeing this sort of catalyst of multi-party systems and sort of the data footprint and the capability and the people teaming across organizations rather than being sort of restricted to one organization or even to one department within organizations. So I, I think I truly, truly buy in and, and believe in this sort of the, the shared, the shared knowledge power of this. It's going to be a catalyst for that. And, you know, as you said, shared knowledge across people, across departments in an organization, but we're starting to see early signs of mm. this being a catalyst across organizations as well for sharing across organizations. And so with that in mind, bringing it back to who our audience, which is digital workplace leaders and their teams, what's your best advice for them during these formative stages of bringing generative AI and chat GPT into the workplace? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, our, my advice would be maybe th I would advise three things. Three is the magic number. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, first of all, to set the right foundation and to start simple in, in areas where they already may have deployed capability and they have, you know, a, a good set of quality, diverse data. I think truly embracing the fact that AI is a productive assistant or co-pilot to help people not replace them. So really, really focusing on the change enablement to help the users work iteratively from generated concepts that need to be tweaked, refined, and re enriched and approved. So for some people, this sort of iterative working approach is natural. For some, it is not. Uh, but basically, yeah, point number two is realizing that people are still critical and will always be critical and I would dare to say that, you know, this AI first mindset is people first mindset. And then we've seen a f the third point would be to establish a governance 
model and and maybe you know look at the the notion of AI responsible AI ambassadors so to have a centralized function to think big investigate validate refine but having the balance between ambition and 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 risk and to have this there I use the word radical transparency on communication with the customers the partners and the employees around you know the risks, the limitation, and uncertainties. So, yeah, I mean that that would be the, those three would be my 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 guidance. Set the right foundation. Start small where you have data. Truly putting people first and not technology first, however cool the technology may be. And then to point number three is to establish the governance the governance model for responsible AI. That's some very sound advice and is very much in line with why I look to bring someone like you into conversation in the studio like this, as we have these moments where the technology profile is changing within the digital workplace. So we're fast approaching our final moments together, Florin. What have we missed? So I think there are three... Uh, three topics which I would encourage uh, your your members to think about. Three topics which I don't necessarily being I don't necessarily hear being mentioned often enough when people discuss generative AI. So the the first topic I would mention is transparency. Uh, we're we're starting to have AI which is so good that it could pass for a human. And then I think it's so incredibly important that we make it clear to the stakeholders, the users, that they're dealing with a machine when they would reasonably assume or expect that they're viewing human-created content or interacting directly with a human, for example, in a, in a customer service. So I think this level of transparency and facing up to the risks, the limitations, the purpose is absolutely critical because if you don't have transparency, you don't have trust. And if you Mm -hmm. don't have trust, everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. I think the second point I would add is that around sustainability and responsible sourcing. So, you know, we're, we're still living in a world where the computing, the supercomputers which are required to to develop and train and run these algorithms can easily have an outside oversized carbon footprint and really to think hard about the strategies to understand and manage and govern the, the energy use so I think the, the sustainability aspect is really important. And then I think, you know, also the, the, the responsible sourcing, because at the end of the day, there are still people, uh, thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people behind the scenes, which are being used to train and fine tune uh, this model. So truly talking to your suppliers about the the human labor involved in training the systems and you know your company's values and 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 principles uh, i think that is really important and then 
I'll come back to the the point on human flourishing uh, because I think it's so important that we focus on this not as you know a, a piece of cool technology which is being used to generate you know the next uh, blog post or the next uh, silly TikTok video or whatever and just increase digital noise but then but that rather we're using this technology to contribute to social goods, um, to contribute to education, financial opportunity, healthcare, and to really think about this as an opportunity to fundamentally change business models and and do that in a way where humans uh, flourish. And I do see a bit of a knee-jerk reaction right now to think too small uh, around this being just a fancy way of automating a few things uh, like document generation or making you know customer service agents a little bit smarter when the potential and the opportunity is so much it's so much more fundamental so those would be the, the three things uh, transparency because of trust sustainability and, and responsible sourcing and last but not least the societal impact the business the fundamental business business model impact and doing that in a way which which empowers human flourishing and those are some really powerful closing thoughts to bring our time to a conclusion and certainly that doesn't mean the topic ends here i know that not only through dwg circles and avenades this is a topic that is going to really start to take hold as we collectively experiment with all aspects of generative AI, including ChatGPT, in reimagining the art of the possible within the digital headquarters of our organizations individually and collectively. Florin, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Truly insightful and fascinating. Thanks, Nancy. And I, I really, um, you know, again, I, I would make, I would love to hear from the audience of this webcast, because I, I think the more we learn from each other, the, the stronger we get. And I don't claim that, you know, we we know everything or we have the, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So <laughs> um, I would love to hear about the experiences, the lessons learned, the opinions of the people of, of, of the webcast and from and to learn from you as well. And I, I, I hope, you know, what I shared so far in this uh, in, in this 45 minutes has been useful. And again, Nancy, a pleasure to talk to you and, and uh, thank you for uh, for inviting me. Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry and boutique consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.